Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. <sighs> The only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Hello, my name is Dave Hannity and there will be no encore. Welcome to The Revisit, a very, very special episode of No Encore in which we go back in time to Irish albums from a given year. This year is 1992. The man who came up with this madcap invention is Kieran McGuinness. So, Kieran, let's talk about 1992 real quick before we introduce our guest. What happened in 1992? What happened in 1992? Okay, so, um, <laughs> Bill Clinton became the president of, um, I think it says, America. Uh, Prince Charles, Diana, they separated. Do you remember them? Prince Charles and oui. uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina. Independent as well. Am I am I going too into randomness? No. Uh, films: Reservoir Dogs, Wayne's World, Basic Instinct, Sister Act. Yeah. Best act. <laughs> <laughs> best best uh, best film: Silence of the Little Lambs. <laughs> and uh, so the big albums of the year were Automatic for the People, OEM, Pavement, Slanted, Enchanted, Sonic Youth, Dirty, Beastie Boys, Check Your Head, things like that. The Chronic by Dr. Dre, and the big song of the year. I will always love you by Whitney Houston. So that's the sort of that's a big year. That's, yeah. that's a big pop culture year. Yeah. Oh, the first reality show as well. MTV's Real World and wow. uh, Windows Three Point One. Sorry, I'm getting a bit too. She never kind of ripped up a picture of the Pope on oh TV. Oh my God! Fight 1992. the real battle. Yeah, 1992. Yeah. Sinead. That was yeah. incredible. <laughs> and Bosnia and Herzegovina. Okay, I should probably introduce our guest now, seeing as, the, seeing as they made themselves known. Uh, the man reacting there with such uh, shock about Sinead O'Connor is, of course, Conal O'Bracken. Bracken, like I can never pronounce your surname, sir, from Weaker Corners. Hello. Hello. Bracon. Bracon. <laughs> Brackoff. <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go. That was a, hey, yeah, that was a real moment. <laughs> Let's close it there. Uh, welcome to the show, sir. We've had you on No Encore before, so welcome back. Thank you very much. Good to see you. Uh, Mary, Mary Kate. Mary Kate. Mary Kate Garrity. 
Well, who I'll, am I now? A fight like apes. Am I though? And live the galaxy uh, fame. Yes. And various other things in the world is in the studio. Here I am. How you doing? I just wanted to say that I just thought that Daniel O'Donnell and Linda Martin uh, were deserving of a nod from '92 as well. D- what did they do? Why me? Oh shit! He, what, Daniel O'Donnell. Daniel O'Donnell did. I just wanted to dance with you. Oh, oh, sorry. Okay. In '92, and Linda Martin won the Eurovision with Why Me in '92. Was that in '92? I hope so, because I've just said it. The reason, because like <laughs> I was in primary school, and I'm, it's funny because I'm looking at the like REM album, and I love that album, and I'm just, it's just funny how I obviously had to re kind of go back to it. I had to revisit it, if you will, um, to kind of <laughs> so many jokes this evening. Yeah, indeed. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, what? it's funny. Yeah, I just. <clears throat> Because I kind of feel like I remember that, but I I would have been so, you know, would have been so young to remember it, you know. But anyway, yeah, you're supposed to know, mate. You know, young man, ninety two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, then she's her final guest. Her final guest is Brian Mooney, a uh, legend of the Irish music scene uh, of such people as the Idiots, David Kitt, Jape, you name it. Legend. How are you? How's that? How's that feel? That feels great. Um, just Sinead O'Connor ripping stuff up. Has Has anyone heard the uh, Pussy Riot? Uh, latest song yes she gets a mention in that yeah do you know the line uh, I'm not going to quote it verbatim because I'll get it wrong do you uh, paraphrase Dave um, <laughs> it's something to do with Sinead O'Connor's vagina I rip shit up like Sinead O'Connor I wear my badge like a badge of honor there you go wow that's, that's very nice <laughs> it's <laughs> shocking that's pussy right it's pussy right yeah it's wow. where are you from where are you from where are you from vagina Brilliant. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's brilliant. It's been like we're all. That's. It's almost the formula of any no. song I've ever written has been just like, <laughs> ting, 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 curse word, <laughs> ting, 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 curse word, ting, 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 curse word, curse, curse. I think it's got a, a good, important message, though. You know. So I call straight yeah. out of vagina. We covered it on No Encore actually, and uh, the, I think the three of us, the three lads talking about it, all felt very kind of demure and bashful as we went through it. <laughs> For you know, professional music critics that we are. But um, yeah, uh, Pussy Riot weren't around in 1992, but we tend to go back on these Irish albums. We get them down to five after lots of shouting via email. And this, Kieran, was probably the most mixed of bags that we've had so far. Yeah, it was kind of um, like, the first thing was there was a lot of albums. There was a big pile, but there was also a lot of albums that I just could not find. Um, there was eight albums on the list of 20 that I, I couldn't find. I did everything to find. I even went into the illegal dark web um, <laughs> and I couldn't find it. Did you? Either. Well, I just, you know, looked at mad Russian sites that have mad Russian albums. You're probably on someone's li- some police list now. I so. probably am. Yeah, it's more I to do say, with what my, was my that views, outside when we were coming into the building? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. But um, I actually had to contact uh, members. Like I had to contact the stunning to get to ask him to email the album to me, but then he was saying that the his the album is actually deleted, and um, because of some messing they're having with the, the label. So there's a lot of stuff stuff going on. It's, it's amazing funny. people can do that now as well. I didn't even know people could actually completely delete an album. I don't think you can as much now, but you could from 1992, I suppose, yeah, if you leave enough. it then. But it's mad because I kind of would have thought albums from the 90s would just be online somewhere, you know, because you know. They would be in people's record collections. There would be people on people's iTunes. There would be favorite albums of people, and they would stay somewhere on the internet. But it's crazy, you know. I couldn't find anything, you know. But uh, but of the ones that we we chose, it was pretty pretty mixed baggy. Like for example, there's a lot of kind of indie rock, you know, uh, like lads singing indie rock, which which is great, you know, nothing wrong with that. But <laughs> of course not, Kieran. Yes. <laughs> of Delorento's fame, indeed. <laughs> but. Uh, it's also, it was also, uh, there's a lot of samey stuff in there. 
Um, and when it came down to my choices, I had there was a couple that were kind of around the same. And the reason I didn't choose some of them, for example, Something Happens was one of the ones I was going to choose. And while the album is good, there was already a lot of lads singing indie rock on the shortlist. So I didn't put it forward. I put forward the In Dust album. But I suppose you're going to go through the, the, the final five. I shall. Yeah, Something Happens didn't make it, which was kind of on my initial shortlist as well. But in the end, I was like, this is all about you too, that kind of era. And I was more intrigued by the one that I'm going with in this. The shortlist is Frank and Walters with Trains, Boats and Planes. Engine Alley with Sonic Holiday, Whipping Boy with Submarine, In Dust with Nosebleed, and Into Paradise with Down All the Days. So we shall start with you, Kieran, and Engine Alley. Others call her Mother Every evening at 10 o'clock, she takes a trial and a secretary. She's pruning roses and tripping hedges, even after 30 Sonic Holiday. Uh, Kieran, this was one of the ones that we went through, and I have to say, I found it a bit of a struggle. Oh, really? A little bit. Yeah, I might have tapped out before the end of the entire album, which is a horrible thing to admit. Well, I have to say, I mean, one thing which is kind of clear about this is it's 18 songs long, which is... Um, it just, it's, just, it's a double album, basically. Um, and which is Did they call it a double album? No. Well, the thing about it is, I guess, 92 is the start of CD, so, I mean, it would have been a record, okay. it would have been a double album, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, 18 songs. I think maybe it does start to... It would have been an amazing 10-track album. Well, I think it's a really good 18-track album. But anyway, so... I, I don't know... First of all, I know nothing about any of these bands. Apart from Whip and Boy, obviously, I know the Whip Heart Room later on. But, the, you know, this list, I just didn't know any of the albums on it. And um, I kind of came to them all with, I suppose... Sort of fresh ears because I didn't really know what to expect, and I hadn't really heard of Engine Alley. And the front cover is all them wearing, like you know, leather and shiny spandex and stuff and loads of makeup. And I just, I just feared the worst. And um, I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was a really, really good album. Uh, I thought it was really interesting kind of pop. Uh, I thought it had really good melodies. I thought there was lots of stuff like, you know. Um, prefab sprout and like kind of clever kind of stuff in it and, and they kind of inhabit their own world so they're a five piece band and uh, based they're from Kilkenny I think and based around Canis and Brian Keneally uh, and um, they were signed to uh, I think Sony uh, and they had a big record deal and you know there was obviously money behind them but it's, it's just a really good album there's just lots and lots of really interesting stuff on it it's quirky it's a bit weird It's it seems to be quite English it also as I said it kind of managed to be in its own world a lot, which is kind of interesting. Um, and I saw, so, so some of the songs, Mrs. Winder is one of the songs on it. And I saw, uh, so I listened to the album loads and I went through watching videos and stuff. And there's a video then playing on Kenny Live and it is the squarest thing you'll ever see in your life. <laughs> it's like, Pat Kenny's like, these guys are really <laughs> Pat rocking Kenny up. wasn't square, was he? No, but it's just Couldn't like, it's so it. official, you know? And it was obviously really earlier in their career because he, he kind of just gives them a biography before he introduces them. And uh, then they come out and they look kind of ridiculous. They're all in kind of makeup, but not like cool Bowie, I don't give a shit makeup and kind of like lads from Kilkenny who are wearing makeup makeup. But it's also kind of a bit lame, but it's also really cool. And they have this really smoking hot, you know, uh, girl playing drums 
and I just I don't know just something about it that just did like it makes it really cool it's just they didn't give a shit or something you know yeah I mean like when I worked for Hot Press they like they would kind of come up in conversation every now and then even if it was like a talk about a revival or a new reissue or something and I remember like the talk around the office was generally like you know this band could have made it if they really wanted to apply themselves that way but they seemed to be happy doing what they were doing which I don't know if that's dismissive and patronizing or if it's actually the case I don't know if it's like if that's fair but I would say on a musical front I found it to be quite overbearing uh, I thought okay. the vocals in particular were quite, you know, like, this is... There's a bit of American... see yeah, somebody would love this, but I... Yeah. yeah, and there's a bit of English in the accent. The accent goes all over the place. It really does, yeah. I think it goes beyond flamboyant into just plain irritating. But. Boom. I think, wow. yeah, I was about to say, you're kind of describing a lot of my favourite and least favourite <laughs> stuff of all time. So. I'll leave now. So. Yeah, if you, if you wouldn't mind. There's, um, there's definitely some Beatles vibes in there, which I, of course, shouldn't bring up, Dave, but there's some harmonies in there that are really... I think really interesting like they like out of nowhere in the middle of something I think is about to be a little bit boring they actually there's a little bit of beauty in there somewhere they have that beautiful song a uh, song for someone um, Steve Lillywhite who was recording that record was married to Kirsten McCall at the time and she's doing the backing vocals on the track and that's no, because in the video I was wondering in the video it's the drummer yeah oh makes sense yeah so on the recording it's her and I think like you saying, Dave, you saying like the 18 track you, you pieced out before the end. Of course you did. It's 18 tracks. But for the UK and US release, they were asked to rejig and rebrand. And it wasn't called A Sonic Holiday. It was called Engine Alley, the album was. So they, they weren't allowed to actually, of course, like 18 tracks. I mean, I would like to for bands to have more freedom and do whatever they want. And I feel like we can or any of us in the room can. But 18 tracks is a bit... Well, excessive no the, the plus I'd be thinking we can get two years out of that same, <laughs> same year was yeah, same year was um, Generation Terrorist by Manic Street Preachers 1992 1992 not 1990 1992 but uh, we got it yeah okay. it's fine <laughs> uh, leave that in leave that it's gold <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, 92 and, and go back into now <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah so I think it's just like that ambition thing and I, a lot, it's funny a lot of the albums on the list are first albums um, it's, which is an unusual one apart from Into mm. Paradise which is a, a second album but there's something about a first album where you know there's less kind of craft and there's less kind of maybe like you learn skill in a first album a first album is a lot about like your ideas and your your instincts and you know this thing if you can do whatever you want and it's your first album and so that's what happens I think you just go let's do another track this one's also as good as the last one and you put end up with, you end up with 18 songs but I, I do think I think you can you can forgive that a little bit I think if it was their fifth album and there was 18 tracks but they all sound the same you'd be like oh, you should know better than that but there's a lyric that kind of says exactly what you're saying um, in the song Infamy which I think is an amazing song he does say um Da, 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 in for me you've got it in for me and I think <laughs> deadly yeah. you know That's you nailed the- it you found something in there and you went with it and it was good <laughs> yeah. come on that is a great song and one of the things I liked about yeah, it that is amazing. and the album <laughs> is that um, it, the song structures are all over the place like that song Infamy it goes into like has a chorus then it kind of goes into a kind of a bridgy bit of instrumental and then it goes into another tiny little bit of bridgy bit of instrumental then you know it's just and they're a bit too poppy for that I guess yeah but also yeah. like it's like they're going oh, 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 why shouldn't we huh yeah you know why well, have another chorus you know and there's loads of that throughout the album where they you know they change speed near the end of a song I I have to confess I knew very little about many of these records before and Engine Alley I knew like virtually nothing about but it's when I first listened to it 
like it was so different to like sonically and in terms of the palette that they were drawing on the instrumentation the orchestration with the strings who like having read up on them they had a classically trained violinist Kenneth Rice and mm. um, it was so they were it was just so such a creative use of different sounds whereas the rest of the records around that time seemed to be a bit like Meat and two veg. They, they. I, I found, I found it a bit tiring after a while listening to the other ones. They all seem to, uh, sort of, plough a similar furrow sonically. Whereas this one, maybe the Endust one was slightly different. But with this one, they were just all, all over the place. And I thought in a great way. I think they were there. There was instruments there that I couldn't even recognise or identify. And the way they l- introed songs and outroed songs and segued songs from one to the other. It was just like nothing else I felt on the list. Um, probably too long in 18 songs for sure. But um, I, I just thought it was really like, I, you know, listening to or looking at the title, A Sonic Holiday. For me, it was almost like it was like going loads of different places. And that for me made this record really interesting. I, I feel I'd like to give it even more time because I only managed to listen to it just a couple of times. But I yeah, I thought it was great, actually. I think it's actually interesting because you mentioned that um, they ma- they re-released it under a different name. I must actually look for that one because maybe that's a, like a ten-track yeah. album. I'd something. say it's probably just the album cut in half. Like, <laughs> like literally, just someone like you know the manatees in the episode of um, South Park where they talk about the Family Guy storylines. Yeah, I'd say probably they just did that. They put the ages on into a tank and just went lads. You just kind of all them. None of us love or hate any of them enough to kick them out, so we'll just do it this way. You know, I'd say that basically is what it was, and yeah. that can be pretty disheartening for a band as well. You know, if you're if you're made if you're made to boil it down that way, but mm. no. But you're, I think you're completely right. Though I think actually the point you made about the title of the album, A Sonic Holiday, yeah, makes a lot of sense. actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Sonic Nightmare, I thought. <laughs> uh, uh, Brian, what, what, what's your take on uh, well, um Yeah, I, I didn't really know uh, Engine Alley at the time. I saw them play like Trinity Ball towards the end or something like that. Uh, the album, I don't know, it was all just a bit too, I'm kind of with you, Dave. It, it, it's all a bit too uh, chirpy and wacky for me, you know. Um I, I I couldn't really get through it to either, to be honest. Um, I'm fascinated by this time period, though, in general, because, you know, you got the hangover of the, of the 80s and all the excesses of that, and it's kind of like how did bands adapt to it and did some of them rebel against it? In the case of this one, I kind of think it does a bit of both, really. I mean, I, I agree with what you were saying, Connell, in that, like, it is... If you look at some of the palette of other records that were on this and even the long list of this, there is a lot of samey stuff. And I, I totally admire Ambition. I totally appreciate when a band does something a bit different, as we'll see when we get to In Dust in particular. But I just, my patience ran out. And uh, with that, we'll move on to the next one, uh, which I believe is Cunnell's choice. That's me, is it? Cool. We're going to go into Paradise, Down All the Days, and we'll have a little snippet of that now. Right, well, a, a total change from the Engine Alley record is, is the Into Paradise record. I gravitated towards this primarily, or first of all, because <clears throat> uh, we recorded our first record 
with a guy called Jimmy Eady, who is the guitarist in Into Paradise. And Jimmy's a very interesting character. We worked with him for probably about a year. And only after about nine months did we discover he was ever in a band. He is usually that's one of the first things that, that you're, you're kind of told when, you, when you're working with someone like that. But he uh, so had, had like looked at a couple of bits around the time when we worked with him, but hadn't really delved too much into them. But on listening to this record, that's so I, I, I picked it, first of all, because of that, because of that connection. First listen, I kind of thought, oh no, what have I done? Because I thought it was so dark, to be honest. I thought it was, like, in terms of Engine Alley and in terms of uh, what everything you probably hate about that, you'd probably love about a record like this. But um, it took me probably four listens before it, you know you break through that point where it's actually kind of you're finding it difficult to engage with this record and it was like right I'm able to enjoy this now I'm able to go back to certain songs that I love but it's an interesting like uh, I think their their story is quite interesting um, and Brian who's sitting here to my right would know an awful lot more about their story than I do because Brian was virtually in the band Into Paradise but so <laughs> feel free to hop in at any point right I think it was a, a no interrupting <laughs> <laughs> but they were formed in Dublin uh, in 1986 initially called Backwards Into Paradise and they released their debut EP Blue Light in 89 on, an, on the Satanta label now the Satanta label is an interesting one I think it was quite an influential Irish label back then and they also released the Frank and Walters Frank and Walters, uh, yeah. Frank EPs, and Walters yeah. um, EPs so what they did what, like, what Satanta would would generally do kind of at the time was they'd sign these bands and they'd record EPs with these bands and then they'd move them on to bigger usually major labels and I think that's what happened with the Franks and that's certainly what happened in Into Paradise's um, case they they released their first uh, full length Underwater but then they signed to Chrysalis and Enzyme so they had their major label debut with their next album Churchtown but after Churchtown, and this is where it gets very relevant to what we're talking about, is they got dropped, and uh, which is pretty common, I think, at the time. And this was kind of recorded I, I, on the back of that. So they had they had been dropped. They were in a pretty dark space, mm-hmm. as far as I know. I texted Jimmy, who was in the band, and I said to him, "Have you got any insights in this, just to help me get kind of into the record or whatever?" Whatever. And Jimmy texts me back, which is just I, I think brilliant. He just seems to sum up the the time. Uh, in such a succinct way so the album was written while we were living in West Cork in a farmhouse in the middle of nowhere we nearly killed each other during that period we fell out badly and ignored each other in the wilderness for many months we drank heavily and got very moody we left the farmhouse and went back to London to our studio where we recorded our first record we'd been dropped and we were all very depressed that sets the backdrop for where this <laughs> record I think was coming from yeah. and it's apparent when you listen to it for me anyway it was a very very dark 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 record it's kind of their sound is kind of languid kind of downbeat seem to articulate maybe the angst and ennui of the sort of 90s suburban kind of life the songs are these bass drenched very bass heavy sort of echoing the Bunnyman Joy Division bass drenched kind of sonic desolate sonic soundscapes there is a tension maybe between what appears to be an attempt at the start like if you listen to the, the first couple of records where there's these kind of they're, they seem to be trying to be positive kind of uh, kind of songs. Like the, it opens with "Tomorrow will be will be, will bring something new." Tomorrow will say something good. The record then proceeds, and the final track is like uh, 
there is no tomorrow. <laughs> it's like yeah, that's yeah. one of the lines in it. It seems to be like a battle between Dave Long, the the the, the singer, who mm. starts out as if like we're, we need to make this a positive thing, and is great gradually worn away by the time he gets to the last the last track. Say in the middle in sleep. Yeah. He says. Uh, uh, I can't believe anymore. I don't believe anymore, and that's in the middle. So it's like that by that yeah. stage, it's like right. They're they're kind of done. They've been beat. Yeah. But it's as I said, like if you, it's like it's it's very. Um, w- I mean, Dave Long's a big U two fan, and you, I guess U 2s influence, particularly at this time, probably can't be overlooked on all of these. As you said, Dave, maybe people kicking against them, which I know the Franks would very much have been kicking against the U two thing. But I know Dave Long would have been a big fan, and this would have been sort of the post Octone Baby, which is like one of the you know the biggest but albums also at the time. Post Loveless, and I think there's a shitload of My Bloody Valentine in this as well. Mm. God, mm. I kind of really, I kind of resent their nod to Joy Division. The lyrics, I mean, certainly based... There's a lot of stuff in it musically that's that's not a Joy Division. Mm. For me, when it when it first opens up, I could hear The Cure. I could actually hear a bit of Frank and Waters. I'm not saying, sorry, uh, uh, time-wise, uh, timeline-wise, the Franks couldn't have influenced them. But I just mean I could hear that in it um, relative to what we were listening to for this show. But um, lyrically, which is where The Cure and Joy Division are in my heart, mm. I couldn't have put them anywhere near... Joy Division I mean yeah. in terms of themes and feeling and everything lyrically this album Down All The Days I I don't like it I actually uh, I don't say, I, lyrically I think I think this is atmospheric which is brilliant I think it's really interesting and I think it really sucks you in but lyrically I, I just think it doesn't have the it's just not like dexterous it isn't but deep but it's it nowhere well, as deep well, as the music yeah, yeah, the, the music, music exactly. is like that's exactly if this it, was if right? this was an instrumental album i would become i would probably have put it in my la, in my final uh, choice of, of of album for tonight but because of the lyrics and i really actually hate saying that and the idea that the band would hear me saying that i would because i would personally hate and nothing more than to hear someone um destroy my I lyrics think so much. over it now though <laughs> <laughs> well it's still like, you know what i mean but, but, but brian it, yeah but honestly i think that even at this time they knew that their number was up even even by this record you know um obviously they'd been dropped by the major and what, whatever that brings but um i i know that well i feel that they they themselves would probably think that they weren't all gems you know and it's only mm. it's only eight songs and it's 33 minutes long do you know and uh, I appreciated only, there's, that there's actually there's a few there's a, yeah but there's a well I could get through this and I couldn't get through the engine alley 18 but but the thing is that there's there's a few songs that stick out on this as as real gems and then there's other ones that uh, whatever the opposite for that is you know what I mean Meg love, yeah Meg it's Meg, it's Meg. Meg. <laughs> is it yeah stinker yeah so, Stinker <laughs> Beside Love, love. Yeah. wow yeah. I thought uh, really I, yeah. I quite like Love no I but totally I, I get did, what I you're saying think, I did think that uh, the first song must is it, I'm sorry is that the first song must get better must get yeah better. must get better song, yeah. tomorrow's yeah. the first song tomorrow's the first song, tomorrow's first song yeah. lost the I thought it was absolutely the atmosphere that was created but that was amazing you know and um, Sleep I think is brilliant yeah Sleep, sleep, is, is, sleep amazing. is the one yeah. Yeah. on it you know yeah. really. did anybody but hear a comparison between Cheap Trick I Want You To Want Me and the oh, they have like a slow you. to want me firm Okay, well. okay, look, I'll just throw it out there. For the, lis- <laughs> for the listeners, maybe not you guys, maybe the listeners will pay more attention to that little nifty comparison. 
<laughs> we'll do a split and have them run side by side. Um, yeah, I like, I I like the kind of like the, the almost kind of combative like result here between the four of you because I think it is. Like, I think everything that, that everyone has said is, is completely spot on, and I think it's it's a very interesting document of where this band were at the time. But like sonically, it is difficult. I think it is tricky mm. to get through. And I mean, no one wants to like to to look back and be like, you know, oh, it's amazing to have this thing which is almost a catalog of a band essentially disintegrating, mm. but. From a fucking dickhead music journalist point of view, that is fascinating, and like you know, it you know, like you, you you like to have these kind of things in the archive of music in general, even if it was a harrowing and horrific experience mm. for the band, and resulted in a record that you know probably doesn't get a lot of plays, perhaps even by them. But yeah, so I find this more of a fascinating kind of thing than a, a cohesive record. I mean, and I I love the honesty about it, and you know, I. Sorry, guys, if you're listening for what you all went through. It didn't sound like a fun time out in those wildernesses. But, uh, yeah, I mean, again, this is like two records in a row where it's like for very, very different reasons. I found them quite difficult to kind of get through. But And it is kind of fascinating, Brian, as you were kind of saying, like, you know, you have an 18-track record followed by an 8-track record here. And, like, even though, it's like, you know, it's like guts of a half an hour and change, it can weigh it quite heavily on you because of what's going on. And I actually felt that way about the next record that we're going to talk about as well. So, yeah, um, I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, like, it's a fascinating one, but definitely a complete weird one. Yeah, there was no sense. I found there was no sincerity in the lyrics. Yeah. And again, I feel as if I'm always, because we've all been battered online, I'm sure, with a song here and there that we've released. And I, I hate saying this because I'm sure there was sincerity in it. I couldn't catch on to any emotion in any of the songs based on the lyrics. Musically, I was with them the whole way. It's, you absolutely are nailing what I thought. Yeah, it's the exact same. You know, it's hard for me to hear you say that. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I understand it completely. So you know, you, did you, you played keyboards, is that right? I just played keyboards on a few tours with them. Later yeah. than this. Yeah. Uh, well, around, you, before that, for the Churchtown tour and, and this one, a few, around the around the UK in the snow in like all those toilets were you uh, there when tours. when Jimmy <laughs> knocked Tom York out cold uh, no before that yeah what's this uh, what? that's a true that, that is like one of those things again Jimmy after months of like working with him he drops this bomb and we, we, like, kinda, we always kind of thought maybe that was why Tom's eye is gone yeah <laughs> right but apparently he was going up Jimmy they were opening for Radiohead and no way! Yes, and Into Paradise World. yes, Amazing. and Jimmy. I'm not as good as re- a researcher as I thought. G- no, Jimmy <laughs> apparently, obviously, would have had a huge like like rack of pedals and stuff and all sorts of gear with him because he was really into, and that's that's really apparent as you can tell on the record. He's really into sounds and creating soundscapes and things with his guitar effects and stuff. But he had a huge thing, and I, I think he said he was coming off, was the, coming stage off the stage they were with his. On, yeah. And yeah. there's a there were steps up onto the back of the stage, if you will, and Jimmy like turned himself around 360 to, and there was someone coming up the steps at the same time and it was Tommy Yorkie clocked him in the head knocked him out cold like totally cold and he had to take, took a few minutes for him to come around and eventually he did but it's yeah. a great him and the manager <laughs> it's a great story and he woke up yeah, and wrote the whole of OK Confused <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah exactly go on Jimmy in one glorious night ok well look we'll, we'll move on to an album that's a, a, a real ray of sunshine uh, by comparison uh, this is In Dust and the appropriately titled Nosebleed
So in Dust Nosebleed, uh, as a pig fan of Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails, obviously I quite enjoyed this. Uh, this album's fucking crazy. It's absolutely bizarre. It's completely off the wall. It's I like where do you even start? I'd say there's a massive, massive Nine Inch Nails vibe, particularly of that kind of pretty hate machine and broken style of production and arrangements. Um, this when I was listening to it, like all I could think about was that video game Doom. <laughs> like which is a you know I'm, I'm not much of a hardcore gamer or anything but like i think everyone's had a you know had, had a go of doom uh revolutionary first person shooter at the time fun game to play and part of the reason is because it was just so relentless and fast and its aesthetic was crazy and part of its aesthetic was its music like it was all these kind of like you know 8-bit kind of chiptune like uh, metal songs yeah. condensed with these chugging guitar riffs and just like ridiculous drums and like wacky solos out of nowhere and it completely worked for that kind of relentless experience that you were going through and everything about this album made me think of this including the artwork like i mean it just seems to be incredibly of its time in that kind of a way um there's nothing here even approaching a chorus on any of the tracks no and it and the songs go through different cycles and stuff big it's, time yeah i mean cool. like like even my notes here are, are, are scattershot like i mean it's just it's like the kind of thing you'd expect it here on on sega mega drive it's got discordant vocals weird vocal samples uh it's like an industrial art installation it's goes to really fucking weird places. Like, the fourth track would fit right in with the kind of current revival or slash homage yeah. of 1980s horror movies, like The Guest mm-hmm. and It Follows. It evokes that kind of sense of mood like John Carpenter did with his scores. Yeah. Um, of course, that's immediately followed by what sounds like a literal nightmare and the kind of thing that Guar or Mr. Bungle would have put did out. You get, I, what's the song? They Must Be Leopards. I said, They Must Be Leopards. Sounds like actual hell <laughs> <laughs> if you're into that type of thing yeah. it's crazy and it, it melts your head like I mean like, like if you're listening to it with headphones on like you know you gotta take a break I mean mm. even before it comes like it's only eight tracks and like but like some of them are like quite long and yeah I, 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 I this is an, probably the most bizarre record that we've done on this kind of like experiment thing that we're doing here and I mean I, I'm not gonna listen to it every day or anything but it completely turned my head in the best kind of ways and it's just all over the place it's an absolute mess but a compelling mess. Sickner in a sector. Mm. That's, I think that was incredible. That's the John Carpenter oh, you want. I was kinda, so yeah. be- oh my God. It was just such a, cl- like it was like, it was almost like Steve Reich or Philip Glass or something. Yeah. It was like classical in that sort of way. And it was such a, such a breath of fresh air. On <laughs> you know, this like whatever palate cleanser or whatever that was so desperately needed at the time. But I thought it was genius. <laughs> a sorbet, if you will. Yeah. But like, really, I think there's really clever stuff on it as well. The song Legal Speed, which I think is the third or fourth song. Um, um, never have the, the track list. I there. think it's the third time. Yeah. I think it comes before because that one that Colin just mentioned comes along yeah, and breaks after, it up yeah. and you're like, oh, great, because, I can breathe again. But legal speed, <laughs> like the way that the, the beats kind of build up through the songs and by that song, it's full on the heaviest drums they can possibly play and it's augmented by beats. But it's kind of like, that's what people are doing now, you know, and mm-hmm. um, Ministry released an album this year as well and like, you know, I, probably not that far away from Ministry. It yeah. sounds like really early without obviously it's kind of techno parts like it sounds like really early you know uh, therapy you sure yeah. you know uh, and it's funny it it's, sounds like fucking typo negative at points like it's, it's so weird but the thing about it is it's stacks like, and layers never, of like I just chugging guitar I just don't I'm listen to, to explode I know where to start I, do, I just don't, like I don't normally listen to this kind of stu- uh, kind of stuff I don't listen to this kind of stuff this noise it's, no but I but actually this I, I, this is my this is my, one of my notes right kind of sounds I like the music here in McGuinness Live quotes. Kind of of sounds like the music of if a load of squares went into a fetish club in a film. 
You know, if they all went in and the music was like, <laughs> they'd be like, man, I don't think I like this. You know, it's like, it sounds like so extreme in that way at times. But the thing about it is... It's Delorento's holiday, is it? Yeah. Like, yeah. What's this music? Why are they not wearing pants? Yeah. I'm upset now. <laughs> I'm very upset. But the thing is that um, a load of the... There's a lot... There is a lot of that you know, shitty metal riffing, which is kind of boring. It's never boring, Kira. But every now and again, they get into this groove and it seems to be augmented by keyboards and it's like, you don't know what the sound is and it's it's brilliant, like, you know, and it really, and sometimes those bits don't last that long. Like the second song, oh, sorry, after the breakdown part of the first track, which is Boredom Result, um, after there's a breakdown part in that and when it comes back in again, it's like at this totally different kind of groove and I could, could have listened to that for for a little bit longer than I do. <laughs> Mary, you're very agitated I, over there. I'm extremely agitated. I actually, as soon as I started listening to this record, I wanted to ring Kieran and Dave and thank them for um, bringing this to my attention. I was so overwhelmed with happiness and excitement with this re- album. I can't get over it. So these guys from Northern Ireland, anytime I've played Northern Ireland with my band, I have always felt slightly intimidated by a heavy... Nordy bands are there's a there's a a heft to Nordy bands that we don't actually have in Dublin Cork and Galway don't eat me over that all I'm saying is in general right in general we don't Um, with this record I just it's exactly what happy exciting um, amazing music is to me there'd be nobody scoring lads in the room nobody because you'd be knocking people's teeth and heads out the whole time you would just be jumping around like even when you're talking about with the fact that there's so much going on in it it's like the captain of a ship he still knows what's going on you know um, throughout this record I just I couldn't even take notes I seem to have even blacked out some notes on the thing there but um, I couldn't even take notes I was actually just like how have I never heard of this band before? And even trying to research them online was pretty difficult. There's a really Typing funny... In, uh, yeah, uh, oh in yeah, I'm an, I'm an expert on nosebleeds Google. now. <laughs> it's like, oh. An expert on nosebleeds. Bacteria. Yeah. <laughs> it's just causing your nosebleeds? There's a really These funny... These five things will... Yeah. But I got this from irishmusic.org and it's a really funny thing where he said, among the confused online descriptions of this band, you will find... Electronic pop with arrangements and rhythms whose sophistication vaults over any obvious goths at EBM influence is a flamboyant metal influence guitar action. It's a mix of electronic post-punk dark pop but sometimes dramatic and nearly pompous, sometimes quirky though, and some death metal style solos and tremolo art abuse and also kind of like Depeche Mode. <laughs> <laughs> but that kind of summarises, like for me, I didn't even have to go near, even in terms of reviewing this album, for me, I went, I actually don't need to you know, that made me extremely happy. Um, the the Nordy factor made me happy because it actually, um, talking about bands that I, that I cut out of this, um, in Dust, as far as I can see, influence the generation after them. I think that for me is the reason I picked, and I'm so delighted with the final list. I think the five bands and those five albums have influenced a next generation. Um, and certainly Nosebleed I'm hearing so, and they supported Whipping Boy as well when they were yeah, they when therapy, they did this they album boy and all that kind mm. of, yeah. it's interesting though as well because <laughs> there's something about like as I said I don't have a lot of metal albums but I like you know I love early Metallica and all that kind of stuff I've got loads I've got loads of therapy albums but for this is just totally different and it's it's so industrial it's so like like it's such a weird mix of techno and industrial and metal. It's just like bizarre. But I, I think it's really good. You do but keep expecting to... I found it too 
too much. Too much. Well. Yeah. I mean, like, I can see that. Did you find it too much, Cole? I did. I did. I find this conversation so interesting and the passion with it. Mary Kate is talking about. I'll forgive it. you. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, do you know what? Like, it's it's just it's just so interesting what people look for in in me. Like, my default is always. You know, harmonic structure and melody and or like arrangement, which is why the engine alley thing would have would have pricked my interest. Whereas I can see your your passion is is coming from a different place, which is amazing. Like I'm, I'm I need to go back and listen to that record with what with you've me. said. In my, yeah. <laughs> with me, with um, me. But but it's why these sort of conversations are great. But yeah, for me, I just thought it was too much. Besides that palate cleanser in the middle, which I thought was beautiful. I thought that was incredible. But the rest of it, I was just like, oh, what are these? Lads Did you feel on? sad? <laughs> I, I know a lot of people weird. when I talk about stuff like that go, just made me feel really. Sad and cold. <laughs> Industrial seems cold, but it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, let's warm things up with the Frank and Walters, which is Mary Kate's choice or selection, and they sound like this. Trains, boats, and planes, Mary. Trains, boats, and planes. Trains, boats, and planes. So um, to bring it to a personal level for a moment, our first record label was FIFA Records, which is the Frank and Walters record label. Um, They were the only record label I've ever worked with that were made up of musicians and not business people. And that's, by the way, not at all to say, because it actually makes more sense to have it, like at least (laughs) 50-50 musicians and business people. But um, Can you say what FIFA stands for? Football, Ireland football. No, uh, forever in financial arrears. Isn't that yes, yes <laughs> that was a joke, oh, Brian. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, but football, benefit. Ireland football. <laughs> ah, I knew it wasn't that. Uh, yeah, well, I was wondering. <laughs> football, Ireland I football. I just couldn't make to say it. I couldn't make to say it. It's a great no, name. but you're, it's totally correct. And we, um, one of my favourite moments ever on stage, and for our probably final shows with Fight Like Ice, we're going to cover. Uh, Walter's trip, which we played with the Frank and Walters in Cork in the Barry before, incredible song, and I think like it's a really good, for me and Connell's relationship. Um, <laughs> it's a really good album for me to say is I feel really jammy that it was on the list. It's one of my favorite albums of all time, without a shadow of a doubt, because a lot of stuff that I was listening to um, when I was about eighteen and started getting into stuff that I, that would end up shaping the music that I end up writing, like you know. Metallica and, and stuff like that. Frank and Walters were one of those bands that were just infinitely positive with the way that they would write and the way they would play. Um, uh, trivia, Brendan O'Connor was one of the drummers originally in the Frank and Walters. Everyone deal with that for a moment. Brendan O'Connor, Wait, the, the, the talk yes, show host? Guys, yeah. precisely. Off. But I also just wanted to read out, um, just if you wouldn't mind, just for a minute, some of their lyrics. Um, this is not a song about politics. It's not a song about sex. If you want, I'll talk about arrogance and if you're respectfully dressed. This song is not about rich or poor. It's about how we probably feel insecure. This is a song I wrote especially for you. I want to say thank you for having me too because I'm glad to be here on this earth living out all my dreams to their worth and most of all, I love you all and I wish you well. 
and that that is the same theme throughout that entire album trains boats and planes top to bottom they're not saying life is perfect they're not saying life is pure or people are pure it's nothing to do with that it's just about having a positive in any way no matter how difficult it can be sometimes having a positive outlook on life and on people in massive contrast to nosebleed (laughs) (laughs) we can still hang out we can can pivot yeah I think yeah I think you said that really well the thing of the I really thought about this album. I, I've actually never heard it before. I, I knew I didn't realize I knew a couple of the songs of it. Um, obviously, uh, after all, which is a big song, and um, this is not a song, which is it's a gorgeous song. But um, there's something about that's it, just really, it's just really not complex, you know. But in a good way, it's like it's simple, and they get to the point the whole time, you know. Um, and I don't know, it's just, it's just like they kind of operate in a similar way to Sonica. They kind of operate in their own sort of world as well. They're writing this kind of upbeat. I think if I said simple, it would sound like I was being no, negative. No, I think you're right. I think but that's I funny. You're trying to get around saying that, but you're right. Saying it's not complex is cor- it's completely correct. But in, a, but in the kind of best way, like it's just like they just get to the point and they don't care about it. And again, like, you know, there's lots of simple rhyming on it and stuff. But I don't mind that, you know, because I don't think you mind if the melodies are really good. The melodies are great in this. That's you know? the thing. The melodies, are they, that's what I really had, wasn't it? Those amazing sing-along melodies. And uh, yeah, it was simple, maybe on, yeah, certainly on some level. Uh, but also then I'd find that like the melodies, like the chorus would jump out completely where I would least expect it, you know. Um, and I was also surprised how many songs I knew. I knew the titles of yeah. so mm. many of them. Yeah, that one, uh, the fashion, the uh, fashion New York crisis. Hit fashion New York, New York, New York yeah. is a great title. Brilliant. Yeah, but like even a song like this is not a song. It's like four choruses, four huge, yeah. incredible choruses. They could have had four killer <laughs> tunes out of that <laughs> one song. Yeah. Just so good. The the sound of the record itself. Uh, it's not, I was going to say, it's simple. It's, it's not complex. It's simple, like. yeah, yeah. Like, I, th- I think Ian Broody re, re, uh, remixed. remixed the a- After, After All, all yeah. and that ended up going to like just outside the top 10 in the UK, I think. But I think the, I think the rest of the record, sonically, is a, t- a little bit maybe tinny for my, for my life. I think, I think the mix could have been um, a, done a little bit better I think they worked with a guy called Edwin Collins who they'd done their yeah. first EP with yeah he was um, on Satanta as well and he was yeah. on Satanta and Dave Kaus did their second EP as far as well, I know well, right yeah. but but anyway um, and it, I, I totally agree with the simplicity thing and like there's nothing more condescending than saying there's a naivety to the song or or, or, that, or, that, or something like that or or this is a songwriter who hadn't quite honed the craft of songwriting. Yeah, but but there is something to be said, I think, in relation to this this record. And I think on Grand Parade, which followed, they they really had nailed their their thing. There was there's like a sophistication to 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 their to to what they're doing at that point. Whereas it's there's there is a, a, a slight simplicity to what they're doing here, but in the best way possible. And it's, it, it gets you right. But the right message here is, it's like result. it's like when everyone says, "I want to be an inventor," but the problem is you can't get simple enough to invent something simple that people actually want. The lyric in John and Sue, "There'll be somebody there for you, my friend." Deal with that. Like that is perfect. Mm. That's talking to two people who are in love, or people who want to be in love, or people who want to just figure something out. There will be somebody there for you, my friend. There are times I get distracted here by the ways and workings of this world, yet I think of you as my life's shrine and I'm glad that I'm yours. I could never write that because I cannot get out of my own head enough to go, 
that's so simple and gorgeous and beautiful. So that's all you need to do. Mm. Is that I'm not a songwriter, but I think that I think can. I, 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 I think that like you know when it comes to lyrics uh, and that kind of thing, I think conviction is what sells things like this. I think that you know a thousand different writers could write those lines down on a page and be like, no, that's too simple, that's too simplistic. I'm not going to do it. I, I need to. I need to make this more complicated. I need to make people look for the subtext. But I think if you actually run with it and do do it well, you know when someone has nailed it for the right reasons. And I think you know a different example would be like the Water Boys. So one of my favorite lyrics of all time is from Hole of the Moon, which is I spoke about wings, you just flew. And it's like, that's like eight words or whatever. And it just says every fucking thing. Mary has a tattoo of the Water Boys on <laughs> uh, a different <laughs> lyric. But uh, but like that like that right there, like that says everything about life and love and, you know, unrequited love and pain and, and, and everything uh, like and, and the joyous aspects of life as well. And again, I think if I come up with that line, I'd probably go, no, 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 it, it's, it's not complicated enough. It, it, it needs to be bigger yeah. and, and, and more mysterious. And I think a band like the Frank Walters, like I think part of what makes them kind of special is that, they're, that they're, there's a communal thing about them. They invite the listener in and obviously, they're you know they're known for having gigs which are very much like that. But even in their songwriting, I think a part of it is that you can kind of go, I relate to this, and I don't need it to be, you know, anything more than what it is. And again, that sounds almost condescending, and I don't mean for it to because mm-hmm. I'm even even like to come out with a line like you know, well, the hardest thing a musician can learn is restraint. But like, mm-hmm. but it kind of is. And I, and, you and, said and, it now. I, I've said it now. But but but, <laughs> I, but I feel like you know, it's very hard to apply that restraint and still come out with a really fucking good song. And they can do it. And that's you know, hats off. Or orange, or orange ties off to them. Or... <laughs> Weren't you going to tell us something, Brian, about Satanta and the Frank and Walters a little while ago? Well, just that they, they um, shared the same label as uh, Into Paradise at uh, mm. the same same time. Uh, uh, so uh, we were kind of following each other a lot around touring the UK at the time. And the Frank and Walters didn't drink uh, and Into Paradise did quite a lot. So it was quite a good relationship that they had we'd drink their rider that was what I was going to say but apparently they they would have looked after themselves like very well like they would have taken care of themselves and they're in great health now they would have been very canny with their with the the money they would have made earlier on which which helps probably with their longevity in terms of you know they, they weren't burning themselves out They've the, just the bought gecko. their whole back catalogue. They own all their records, yeah. all their recordings. I think now, their first you know? advance really they bought. Guys. They each bought a house. Yeah. yeah, Jesus. Like with their first advance. That's amazing. And, <laughs> and after after show parties, we'll be back to the house. Stop it! I'm gonna the piss you know? for two. <laughs> <laughs> I drank my house. There's a lot, of, a lot, a lot of interior decorating goes into that kind of Don't thing. Don't be mean. Dude. I'm not being mean. I, I, I'd love to interior decorate a house. It's great crack. But uh, we'll move on to our final Close album. Most of the, uh, the <laughs> I'd love to interior decorate a house. The verb. I used to renovate houses. I interior decorate. Uh, well, interior very, decorate. Very, very briefly for like a couple Ishi, of for a couple decorate. of summers. There's, there's, there's no better pleasure in the world than taking a sledgehammer to an old wardrobe. It's amazing. You destroy things, basically. Yeah, when I say interior decorate, I mean destroy, okay. disintegrate, renovate. I thought that's what it meant as well. Yeah, see? <laughs> yeah. It's great. But, uh, and one album that you could listen to while smashing up a wardrobe with a sledgehammer <laughs> is uh, Submarine by Whipping Boy, which sounds like this. You better know the words of this song now. In Oh, 
Okay, uh, Summary and Whipping Boy. Uh, anytime a kind of, you know, illustrious Best Irish Albums of All Time poll comes out, it tends to be a different Whipping Boy album that ends up sometimes at the very, very top. Uh, is this album overlooked in that regard, Brian? Uh, for me, uh, certainly. Uh, at the time that, and you're referring to Heartworm, yep, the, yep. The, the album after this, um, I was I was actually very disappointed in Heartworm, and, and I, I for me, that was... That was the end of Whipping Boy. Um, I know that's a bit harsh, but the thing was that I, I I used to do sound in a club called the Underground, and they used to play there quite a lot. Um, and I did sound for them in a few other places as well. And uh, I so I knew I knew the songs on Submarine, and that was and I knew them live. And and uh, you know I I just loved them. I loved. Uh, I loved the gigs, um, so when Heartworm came out, it was just a different thing for me. It was a bit more uh, produced than I would have liked. So, for me, Whipping Boy was this album. That's just in in answer to your question. But um, uh, c- coming back to listen to this album was was uh, c- quite a quite a thing for me because I, I'm not just listening to the album I'm I'm directly back in 1991 in Temple Bar you know the start of of STC and this this album was recorded in Sun uh by Aidan Foley um and like that that just means straight away that means like low budget like I don't mean no offense to Aidan or, or Sun but I just mean <laughs> you know it was it, uh it was kind of earthy in that way about what what was going on certainly in my life you know and 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 the scene you know and for me uh this whole time could is kind of this this album really sums up uh, a certain passion you know so uh, uh, it's incredible for me to think that uh Engine Alley's album was out at the same time you know because they do seem yeah. it was completely different this was my world and i was i was totally just uh, enveloped in in this you know uh there were um like so there were other um bands around like uh, roller skate skinny and stuff but yeah, you can wow. hear like you'll hear obvious you know and uh, you know you'll see it all the time referring to this album you'll see you know jesus mary chain and sonic youth but people used to throw out sonic youth any as a reference to any band that had a distorted guitar anyway mm. you know so you know I, I'm kind of always wary about comparisons stop that did I kick something <laughs> no I was just going to I was just saying I'll cover up my Sonic Youth reference <laughs> uh, I'm always I'm always very uh, wary about uh, comparisons that are can be easily used and as a journalist I'd say you have to use them you know you have to guide people or whatever I hate but using comparisons they can yeah. be, well bands can, have to use them as well if the you're, problem, though, you know, yeah. you're going to have to say to somebody Brian in fairness and I hate them as well but someone let's say from the US a, a potential booker says to us but well, sure what do you say I'm like I'm not going to say come see for yourself because I'm like no we're not going to come see for ourselves do you know yeah, yeah. but anyway continue yeah. you've got to okay, give them okay. the shorthand well I just mean I think I think uh, I think people I think a that bit was more uh, yeah you could be a bit more careful uh, about using because they seem to, seem to be bandied about pretty easily you know that's all I mean mm-hmm. um, but uh, oh what was I going to say was that um yeah haven't said that haven't said that listening back to this now and it just became like oh my god the references jumped out like so easily 
yeah. whereas at the time they didn't. Mm-hmm. At the time, it's all new and exciting, and you know. But now, listening to it, you can hear very clearly. You can hear the fall, and you can hear the velvet, velvet under, underground. Velvet yeah, underground, yeah, absolutely. You know, and you know, and and then listening over and over again, that didn't take away from it. And initially, initially, it was I kind of saw that as like a. a Small negative that that you'd be you know so easily referencing these these influences, but then when you listen over and over again and you just go with it and you you just kind of tend to forget that and you you get into yeah. the record, um, and something else that uh, that that occurred to me about this. By the way, I just just say um, those underground like I Wikipedia this of course you know and you see all these things about Ferg being a mad you know cutting himself on stage and all that. There was a show element to it, but I can tell you that before every gig, he was like uh, adjusting the lights, you know, focusing them, uh, making sure everything was... Fo- I'm like very I, glad to no, hear that. No, what I mean that is, what I mean that in the best possible way, yeah. I mean like he was like attentive to the, the gig and the show and, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't, it, it, it was focused and everything about them was focused and the music was focused and they were... You know, um, gentlemen, very, very nice, quiet guys. And then they'd plug in and they'd play and you could feel the air moving. You could do, like, when the bass started playing, boom, you know. Have uh, you seen them play recently, Brian? No, it was a 2005. No. The last time you saw them 2006, I think. We, played. Then we I played with them in 2011. Yeah, when they their first resurgence yeah. since the breakup. In and it was, so did we. So did we. it was crazy. It was like the garden sessions down in the hotel in Offaly. Um, what was the name of the hotel? The County Arms Hotel. It was like a charity kind of gig thing. But it was out in this kind of in this walled gar- garden kind of small enough all the chairs just like plastic chairs lined up in a row like facing mm. the stage and by the time they came on there was about I'd say 20 people in the in the whole place no way. and he Fergal was like it, it, incredible performance but even with just 20 people there he was like writhing around on the floor like on his back going under the chairs it was incredible but that's the thing he's not actually playing for he's actually it's something I think that a lot of us can tend to miss sometimes when you kind of are, you're expecting if you're listening to the noise around you and not the noise that you're actually making yeah. yourself like yeah. you do actually forget that you should be doing this anyway and if you give out before or after a show you certainly don't make your protest during a show you certainly don't stop playing or giving it everything during a show if there's not enough people there you know it's mm. we play with incredible. him and he dresses a, he dresses a uh, a suicide bomber. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and what is that dress like? <laughs> he dressed yeah, like, like you know, as you could I'm probably scared. imagine. And he also lit the Irish Times on stage. He burnt the Irish Times on stage, and like why the Irish Times? Yeah, I th- I can't of remember. all the but, fucking papers in the world, <laughs> come on, Virgil. I think it was because they said something, and he had it, and he was just came out and started burning. I was like, this is made. <laughs> he did an interview actually uh, recently, I think in 2011 during one of those shows where he said um, if you have a human voice you'll never be forgotten and it's all about just having a human tongue and I actually thought that made a lot of sense think like you know when we all get caught in the din especially like we're, we're, all, we're all of us here involved in bands you know you, you get caught up and I don't care what anybody says we all get caught up every now and again whether we let it continue or not I don't know but you do wonder should I do that instead of that? Or maybe we should think about that. Maybe we should whatever. 
Versus point being, if you have a human voice, if you actually just talk, if you actually just say what it is that you want to say from your perspective, it can't be right or wrong. It's, you know, it's the only way really of making it, I think. I'm not sure what other years you've covered in this series and, uh, you know, if it's all pre-digital. Are they all pre-digital? Or uh, 1980 to 2005. 2005. So okay, so, bit, yeah. so, you know, around this, this time... That's pretty good span. Uh, I was doing like a, a sound course in SDC, as I was mm. saying, and I remember uh, this guy called Barry Warner, and his name just popped up on this that he was at least not, I can't remember what he did, but uh, musically, but he came into the class one day with a sampler. It was called an Akai S1000, you know, and it's this. Do you know the AKS 1000? No. I was so dying was to go. Yeah, time, yeah, I know. First <laughs> time we'd ever seen a sampler, you know, because we'd been doing tape loops, like using using a spool and a, and a pencil. And the tape would go around the room like that, you know. And that's how you'd make a loop. And you edited it with the tape, with the hardback razor. And, you know, it was, that's, that's what recording was and editing was. Uh, and all these albums were recorded onto tape. You know, I think it's... Uh, important to, to remember that I just that you know this sampler by the way that Barry Warner brought in massive fucking thing and it could record like it could sample the sound for up to one and a half seconds you know? <laughs> and the, 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 the way you use it is like just insane the, the, the technology it was like we spent weeks trying to work out how do you use this thing you know so in light of that being the kind of you know the landscape of recording at the time yeah. and then listening back to this and I just go wow we're very tight for time, so I'll keep it brief and I'll say that uh, I thought this was great. Sorry, Sorry for talking. No, no, it's fine. No, 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 please. Uh, as the host, it's my job to sit back and let people talk. And I will say that uh, I'm probably with Karen, though. I think Heartworm might be the better record, but not by a massive degree. And it was very, very fun to go back and explore this, and it will be more fun to listen to it now that I know that there was so much kind of incredibly, you know, analog and just raw labor that went into it. So, and I, 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 to be honest, I like the production differences. I mean, I, you, you kind of opened up by saying that you felt that Heartworm I guess was too clean or signaled the end of the band that, that you know the kind of the that really, I knew just yeah the really kind of DIY yeah. aspect and I can totally see why that would be a thing but I quite like both those aspects in general mm. but I think this is a great record I think it deserves to stand on its own we'll take a break and we'll come back and see who stands tallest this time right uh, I think this is going to be a tough one I think it's been quite a mixed bag, as we said at the start of the episode, but in a very good way. And I think all the arguments are very, very uh, compelling and correct. Kieran, we'll start with you. Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> didn't see that coming, did you? <laughs> God damn it. Um, all right, so... I think, for me, the album that I'm most... Um, the album that I would recommend to people probably... Actually, no, I'm not sure. No, I'd probably say... Jesus. I am sure, Jesus. I am sure. But I'm just saying, Musicians. I'm, I'm going to have a, I'm gonna have a sub. Uh, I'd say... I would recommend people listen to um, probably the Frank and Walters first. But I would also strongly recommend people listen to Engine Alley. So I will go for, uh, you know, slightly more than a vote for Frank and Walters, slightly under a vote for uh, Sonic Holiday. Perfect. You're on. (laughs) (laughs) Connell. I would go for the Frank and Walters. Um, Just for me, it does stand... For me, in terms of songwriting, in terms of the type of lateral thinking that, that, that's gone into the lyrics, uh, it stands head and shoulders for me. Okay, Brian? For me, it's Submarine um, because it uh, captures uh, the time so well. If there was a time capsule 
Uh, you know, I th- that would be the one. But then again, that would be my one because, you know, there was all this other stuff happening outside of my bubble. But submarine for me. Uh, Mary-Kate is going to go with Frank and Walters. I am. <laughs> um, I suppose the only reason I would go for Nosebleed by In Dust is that I don't think a lot of people know about it because I didn't know about it. Mm-hmm. So... I think if anybody else was pushing for in-dust nosebleed, I'd probably have given them the vote because I think it's really important if people listen to music they haven't listened to before. But considering I think we're going to win this, I'm going to stick with my boys. <laughs> do you want to give a, a just under a vote for nosebleed? Um, well, that's a really bad system, Kieran. But yeah, sure. <laughs> I'll give just over a vote for Frank and Walters <laughs> and it's under a vote for nosebleed by in-dust. Um, yeah, this is like it's it's extremely hard to to pick. I, I kind of have like a three way tie for first here with uh, with Nosebleed just about pipping it. But at the same time, I really want to show for Submarine because I think it deserves to be recognised. And I think Frank and Walters, you know, like it's 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 one that I'm totally happy to win. Uh, but I I want to kind of rep- represent and shout out for the other two. So I guess a two way tie for first for me with uh, Nosebleed and Submarine. Which I guess leaves Frank and Walters as the overall winner. Frank and Walters is the overall, but just winner. about, just about. But, but just I think about. Yes! <laughs> the reason that the, the the other tracks, the other albums were in it was because um, I guess it's because they were really good albums, you know, of the year. So well, we picked the most mainstream, I think, which is kind of important. Note, I guess, is that between five people with varying it's music, a, it's an interests. interesting process. Yeah, you yeah. end up kind of going with yeah. Kind yeah. of the one that will appeal to most. But then I think I think Nosebleed and no. Submarine, I think like, to be perfectly honest, before this, I haven't listened to either of those through. Even Submarine I know, and I've heard mm. plenty of songs from it many times. I've never listened to it through. And I think it's really, anybody that's listening to this has to understand that there's five people sitting here, completely different um, walks of life, all coming down to these well, do you know, other two the, so. the, like when, when we were coming through and listening to the, the long list um, the Frank and Walters didn't stick out to me it wasn't one of my long lists you know ones that I, I was mm. pushing forward but actually when the, when we refined the list and everyone's kind of votes came in for the ones I ended up listening to the Frank and Walters quite a lot um, over the last you know couple of days and uh, you know it kind of came through in that way for me mm. so I'm kind of happy to kind of uh, put mm. it forward I, I think yeah, I don't know. I think you're right about the, um, the the mainstream nature of it, but I mean, in second place are two of the least mainstream. Totally. So, you know, and for example, if I, you know, one of us had changed our vote there, it would have been, you know, a, a different thing. But and even then, it's kind of one so of those it things takes where one vote here on though, isn't it? And the winner and <laughs> the loser. That's all. Uh, yeah, elections. It's yeah. even, one, but it's even, one, it's even one of those things where it's like you know, it's, it's like a star rating on, on an album review or a film review. Ultimately, you know, like I find that the the words, the copy, to be more interesting. And I think that you know, over the course of this episode, all five records have been given very equal footing in that regard. And I think ultimately, the listener can make their own decision wow. and listen wow, to Nosebleed. You should totally listen to Nosebleed because it's really, really good. <laughs> okay, so to play us out, we'll have a song from the winners. Frank Walters, what song? Oh, sorry, I say thanks everyone. But sorry, I'm, I'm a terrible host. Uh, thank you to Connell, to Brian, to Kieran, as always, and to May Kay, who will decide what song plays us out. Um, Does she get to decide. I voted for it as well. But her passion shone, shone through. Classic. Yeah, it's classic. Kieran McGinnis. Classic Kieran McGinnis. Gamesmanship. From from one of the greatest bands Ireland's ever produced, Frank and Walters. This is After All. All right. We'll see you next time. Woo-hoo.
Just before we play this episode out with a song from the Frank and Walters, uh, Kieran actually got Ash from the band on the phone. So here's a quick interview with Ash from the Frank and Walters. How you doing, Ash? This is uh, Kieran here, and we're giving you a shout from uh, the No Encore Revisit podcast. And um, Trains, Boats, and Planes was our album of 1992, the album that we're recommending people to revisit. Um, so I just wanted to have a little chat about the album. How does that sound? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem at all. No problem. Um, yeah, look, we'd moved as a band. We'd, I suppose we'd did our first gig in about 89, even though we'd kind of been going on and off for a bit before that. And uh, we moved over to London in 91. It was just it was just nothing going on in Ireland, really. There was no music industry, really, as such in Ireland. So it was just, you know, it was pointless. Kind of, we kind of reached the heist that we could reach in, Sir, or in Cork, which was like the headline Sir Henry's. So we went off to London, got a deal with um, Satanta Records, which was a very, very small Irish label at the time. And then we um, we released two EPs with them, and then we signed to a bigger independent called Go Discs. It was they were famous for bringing through bands like the House Martins and people like that, Billy Bragg, and that. and um, yeah, it's like when it came to the album, we we were um, we were on our third EP, and it was you know like like all bands the you think no, it's time to make an album, and transport some planes was the result. We um we'd done some of the early EPs with Dave Coase, who was this lead singer with Our House, Our House, yeah. Who who um you know we would have been good friends with, and um a House had used Edwin Collins for their album, uh the album um that they had done in '92. So it was he was kind of working as a producer at the time and. It just they finished their album and we started our album pretty much the following weekend with, with him. So it was um yeah it was kind of recorded and bits and bobs because we, we were doing a lot of touring at the time. So it kind of went in did the drums, then went in did the bass and kind of did it in, over the course of I suppose three months kind of on and off. But I mean the, the actual recording days was probably recorded maybe twelve days and mixed in another about five days, which is quite quick for these days. It was recorded on. 24 track tape which would meant that you would only um with the the click track you you would only 23 tracks to work with like. yeah. so um yeah yeah it it it, 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 it for, for me like listening back to it and, and for the rest of the band it's like that's kind of the album where we learned how to make an album um we, we kind of feel that we didn't get it right our second album but still but people like it people seem to love us there, there's i mean there's definitely a naivety about, about the record and I think the it was a friend of mine who described the best he said when he's listening to the songs he kind of gets the feeling that anything could fall apart at any moment yeah. and um, it, he's right because you know because we weren't used to being in a recording studio we, we'd never made an album before and we were literally coming off tour running into a studio trying to get as much done and then going back on tour and th- th- there was that element of spontaneity there and naivety there which which still kind of comes across to this to this day i think so i think i think though it it it, it comes across you know it's it's kind of simple um yeah in, in, in yeah. some ways but not in a negative way in a kind of way that the it's clear like it's incomplex but it means that yeah. the melodies are very strong and I, I think in a way it's it's a lot kind of more clever that way or something yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, 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 I think it's, it, it's, it's one of these records where it's very, it's very hard for the band to, 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 to have a view on it, yeah. w- which make, which makes sense because, you know, it was just, it was just such a blur for us at the time. Um, 
like I think you, you generally don't learn how to make an album till your second or third album, you know, That's right, as yeah, a band. Yeah, right. But then, but then, but then you can't argue, you know, you can't argue with 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 fans who like it was a couple of years back. We went out and did the um, did the twentieth anniversary of the record, and. Um, like people loved it. People people loved hearing the, them old songs. And I mean, you know, you'd know like certain songs like After All, which 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 would have been a hit in in the UK at the time, and Fashion Crisis hits New York. Like the bigger songs on the record, um, like a lot of people would know. But there's there's kind of songs on the record that you know we had to relearn. Like we kind of completely forgot about. But people people loved the songs and. We we'd never we never rated those songs because they felt so almost almost amateurish to us. But 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 then like you know there, there is there there is a, a, a certain um, beauty in, in in not knowing what 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 you're doing as well. At some at sometimes even though it's not nice, you're kind of you feel like a, you're kind of a, on a tightrope, kind of about to fall into fall off the cliff or something. But uh. You know, you know, pe- people people recognise that and they get a, a, a good feel from it. But I'm the same. Like when I listen back, like the I suppose the bands that I would have been influenced by would be, like you know, the wedding present stuff. And I still like go back to the early stuff where it is like it's just it's just it like the albums as albums are, are kind of train wrecks. You know what I mean? It's just a hundred yeah. miles an hour. They're they're playing everything too fast. But that's what I like about it. That that kind of you know, just 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 doing it because you, you something's in you and you gotta get it out of here and you gotta get it out of you as fast as you can. You know, so I think um, there is something though. Um, I think you talked about kind of a naivete or whatever. Uh, uh, like it actually works really well. Like songs, like this is not a song. I mean, lyrically, it, it's quite direct, but it's it's still mm. it's still very connective. You know, it still it still connects in a way. I mean, how was that was that song written? Was that song written yeah, quickly, or generally were the it, songs written quickly, or were they crafted? They were. They, they would have been. They would have been written very, very quickly at the time, and it was. Um, it was, you know, you know, like generally, you know, if something wasn't working because we were, you know, because we were very young and we were we were very impatient, if something wasn't working after like an hour in the practice room, it was just ditched. So, like all the songs that you hear on that record. Like none of them, none of them really went through like any big process. It was just they either worked or they didn't. The ones that worked stayed there. Then Edwin Collins came in as producer, and he was like he was a very um, hand, hands off producer in a way. It's like if if he felt something something was right, he he was he he'd let it go. If, no, he'd he'd pipe up if he if he thought something could be added to. It. But but he, I think he wanted to capture what the band was at that moment and you know he you know he he wanted to keep that simplicity in i mean he'd been like you know he'd been through the mill with you know major label stuff with and um, his band orange juice and then as a solo artist and i think he what he saw in us was this 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 kind of simplicity and this like desire to kind of get to the finish line as quick as as quick as we could and he recognized that that was something that he had, but he lost. And I mean, once you kind of unlearn that, it, it, it's impossible. It's one hundred percent impossible to go back, you know. And like even even we found that, like we made it, we made an album in around two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, and like in a, in a small way, we wanted to recreate our first album, 
and and we couldn't like we just couldn't do it. We we we, we could we couldn't capture that. You know the way recording has gone, the way technology has mm-hmm. gone. You know now you've like you can you can have two hundred tracks if you want. It, it was just impossible to go back and do that kind of breakneck pop song where everything is so simple and all that's shining through is is the melody and those like. I don't know, those direct lyrics. I mean, it was, like, even with This Is Not A Song, like, there's a part in This Is Not A Song, which is, I mean, as, as, as a, you know, if, if you break it down into a structure, it's a, it's a very strange song. There's kind of a, there's kind of a, it goes kind of verse, bridge, chorus, bridge, second chorus, you know? It's like, it's a, it's an odd, it's an odd, it's an odd structure. And, you know, when it got to that second chorus, like, it, it felt like there was, there was no need, more, more needs, for, for any words so like Paul which he used, he used to at the time he used to just make up kind of lyrics on the spot which didn't really mean anything you know there was the same with Walter's Trip the chorus of Walter's Trip there's, there's actually no lyrics it's just words that sound good that that that, that fit the melody you know and I mean you, you'd you never do that now I mean like like you know I mean, I mean the only other band who, who who I can think of that do that are the Cocktail Twins and you know it's like uh, like you know, it was just we had said everything we needed to say. So it was just, yeah. you know, we we went into gobbledygook mode, no problem, and we had no problem doing it. And it just felt like, you know, that that was us. And you know, and Edwin, thank God, you know, because it is a, a kind of a quirk of ours on on that album. And particularly, I think there's three songs which have there's parts of the songs which there's no lyrics. It's just like gobbledygook. And um, Edwin. Left it. I remember. I remember the um, the A and R man at the time was going. You can release a song like with gobbledygook, and you know we were going. Why not? And Edwin was backing us, which was great. So we had this big showdown with the label, and you know it was like That's ourselves amazing. and the producer won, which was great. You know, it seems like something that 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 it does seem like something from a a, a past. You know, especially yeah, yeah, the way things are vetted now as well. But um, I think. I think it's a it's a brilliant album. It stood the test of time, and uh, I think uh, yeah, I think uh, you, I, how you, you, I guess when you look back at it now, are you as proud? Are you proud of the album, or do you feel like, or do you listen? To, are you one of the people who can't? I can't listen back to. I can't listen back to <laughs> um, it, it, it. It's hard when we did when we did go back out and tour it. Obviously, we had to relearn it, so we had to go back to listen to it. Like there's certain songs that definitely um, stood the test of time, and I mean. You know, after all, it's just one of them songs where you know we 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 kind of got embarrassed about it for a while, but I mean, in the end, we just kind of succumbed to it. It seems to be on the radio, kind of it, it crops up every 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 now and again, and it's like it's 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 paid our marches for years, so we can't really complain about it anymore. But um, it's like that's that's a song that like it still sounds good on the radio. I think Fashion Crisis is the same. This is not a song. Daisy Chain sounds good. But there, I mean, there's a few cringe moments, but I think I think you're going to get down with every. Yeah. I mean, there's probably a handful of bands that don't have to, I mean, I'm thinking of, you know, maybe the Stone Roses, his first album, maybe the Killers first album, where there is no kind of, you know, there is no oh, they're, they're, cringe moments. They, yeah. they just, it, like for whatever, they were just touched by the hand of God and they just got it right. But um, there's definitely a few few cringe moments on that for us. But you know, it was it was it was like when we went out and we kind of thought we thought of like dropping a couple of songs for, you know, and doing some B sides instead of the songs. But when we went out and and played the album and the reaction I got, we kind of realised, you know, and in a live setting, it, it, it was different. I mean, I think I think the um, 
the studio versions kind of it, it is kind of warts and all you can kind of hear hear bits that you're not 100% happy with but you know live the, the songs that we weren't happy with came to life and they kind of took on took on another another dimension I think in the end once once we finished that tour I mean basically the um spent pretty much the whole year touring it all, all over and by the time we came off the tour we kind of grown to love the tracks again you know the tracks that we weren't didn't have in such high esteem we kind of love learn to love them again which was good like but i mean as i say it it it's it as an album it, it, it's hard to look back with it 100% with fondness yes we'd be like proud of certain moments in it but i think like we definitely learned how to make an album and how to bring people on a journey from a to b from making that album and from making mistakes on that album as well you know and I, like i think that's the thing where I think maybe, you know, bands starting out now, because we've changed the way we listen to music, we tend to listen to individual tracks. And I mean, I'm as guilty as anyone. I'm not giving out the way, about the way young people listen to music. When I listen to Spotify and I'm like, I'm bouncing around like DJs. It's like between different tracks and different bands and different genres and different time periods. Um, it's like bands, I think bands have maybe... You know they don't go out and they don't go out to make an album. They just put together a collection of songs. But you know there is a benefit of going back and seeing the way people made albums back in the sixties and seventies and eighties. Whereas there was a starting point, a middle point, you know, yeah, and 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 an end point. There was a story. And like I think the mistakes that we made with Transports and Planes, uh, we definitely learned from. And in the subsequent albums, we were we were able to kind of put right. So it, it's, I mean, all in all, we're we're proud of, of moments, but I mean, we're happy with the reaction it got and we're kind of glad that it kind of shoved us in the right direction to kind of go and make make subsequent albums. I mean, the, the, the follow-up album is actually 20 years old this year, so we'll be going out doing a few, doing a few gigs around that. Like, we're, we're kind of more happy with that album. It's kind of, it feels like a more rounded album. But you know, I, I would imagine most fans would probably still have more of a soft spot for for the first album, the Trans Boston Plains album. So can't yeah. argue with the public. This is it. You can't. The great one. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Um, I guess you're still touring. You're still releasing albums. Um, so what are you up to right now? Yeah. Um. Well, we just pretty much finished the like we had an album out there in April. Um. The, the latest one and just finished finished up in mid November in the in the UK. So we've got we've got a few bits and bobs in, in Europe with that, but we're kind of finished the UK and Ireland, we're kind of finished that tour. Um so we're in the middle of writing the next album, but I, it won't be out this year. It's uh we're talking twenty eighteen. Um and we'll do towards the end of the year, kind of September, October we're gonna do um, a few Grand Parade gigs, with, which are, which was the second album. So we're going to do the 20th anniversary of that. So um, we're kind of gear, gear, gearing up, gearing up for that at the moment, and kind of reissue it. You know, reissue it on vinyl and kind of a you know collector's pack, and that. you know people seem to enjoy that. Plus, it, it, it's a handy way to make a few quid to put in to the album that we're making next. You know, that's what it's like. That's it's like you're releasing albums and touring to make money to make the next album, yeah. really. So. So, but um, I know it's a, it's a nice, it's a nice. Um, the bankruptcy it's a nice, cycle. And it, yeah, yeah, but it's a nice, it's a nice cycle we're in at the moment. It's, you know, we're not, we're not killing it. I mean, myself, 
myself and Paul, the, the two original members, Paul the singer, like both of us are fifty this year, you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. so 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 we can't we can you know, we're not gonna kill ourselves like but uh it, you know, it's nice to do short tours of, of of places without without uh, actually, you know, going nuts and killing each other and stuff like so so yeah, um that that's kind of the loose plan is to finish up this album in Europe, uh the Grand Parade stuff and all all the while kind of, you know, like get get the bones of the next album uh, recorded this year and get it finished early next year and mixed and kind of out for I don't know March or March or April 2018 I suppose so. Ash thanks very much for chatting us uh, and congratulations on a great album and uh, yeah we encourage everyone to go and revisit it and uh, thanks very much see you later nice one thanks Karen. talk to you later thanks man
This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Celebrate this July 4th with a special presentation of a Capital Fourth. Join your host, Vanessa Williams, with performances from Sea to Shining Sea, starring Jimmy Buffett, Gladys Knight, Alan Jackson, Cynthia Erivo, Pentatonics, Renee Fleming, Train, Jennifer Nettles, Mickey Guyton, Jimmy Allen, Ali'i Cravalho, Laura Osnes, Ali Stroker, and the greatest live fireworks display in the USA. It's a Capital Fourth, sponsored by the Boeing Company and American Airlines, Sunday, July 4th, 8, 7 Central. Only on PBS. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.